Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go. Hallelujah. How's everybody feeling? We've already, we've already encouraged you to do so, but I encourage you one more time. Look at the person beside you or behind you, in front of you. If you want to air five them, high five them, whatever, and just say, I'm so glad that you are here. Pat yourself on the back and say, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> God is good, amen? Here, let's pray before we get started. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for your presence already being in the building. Lord, yes, thank you for your presence already being in the building, Lord. I thank you for the unraveling that you are doing within us, Lord. Yes, God, the unraveling, Lord. You already started it, Lord. I thank you that you continue it. We bind up any and every work, um, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, Lord, that will hinder us from receiving your word, that will hinder us from, from zoning in to what you want to say, Lord. Right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, we give you permission to preach from your pulpit, which is our hearts this morning. Lord, let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. This morning, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. If you don't, it's all good. We're going to put it on the screen for you. Um, it's going to be in the Passion Translation. But um, you, can ask, uh, you can ask Kelsey. I've given her um, this uh, massive text in um, 2 Thessalonians um, yesterday afternoon. Said, so, hey, this is where we're going to be at. Da, da, da. So in my head, I'm thinking all this and and uh, just going through life or whatever. And then last night, uh, towards the end of the night, getting ready for bed, doing the the nightly duties, putting kids to bed, cleaning up, trying to shave a little bit. I know it don't look like I did, but trying to shave a little bit. You know, I, I like the scruffiness. People look at me they're like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, what's up? You know. <laughs> um, but uh, in the in the midst of all that, I just. There was this, um, I'm, I'm a big, uh, uh, there's this Christian artist, his name is Corey Asbury, and uh, I heard about him. Um, actually, it was, uh, it was Kelsey who introduced me to his music um, back when I was at New Life, um, but I've always been a fan of him. He used to be out in IHOP, Kansas City International House of Prayer over in Kansas City. But anyways, he does stuff on his own and through Bethel, but he released this album, and I was listening to it, and I'm one of those, I'm very, uh, uh, I, I am who I am. So, like, if it's a new album that I'm listening to, I can't just, like, I'm going to listen to the first song, and then, you know, a little bit later, I'll catch second, third, you know, whatever. It's, it's not, it's no start and stop for me. It's, I had to listen to it in its entirety. So, if I, if I know I have time to listen to a full album, I'll listen to it. If not, then I'll just put it in my comeback later, because it's not one of those, uh, if I listen to the album, I have to stop, I'll never like that song. I, just, just the way I'm made up, for some reason, if I start listening to a new song, and then I stop, and later on, I come back to it. There's just something, man, I don't, I don't like that song. I don't know why. That just makes me want to stop listening to it. I don't know. So I have to, because I'm very, very quirky. You can ask Kelsey. Sometimes it gets a little annoying. But I have to listen to a whole album in its entirety. Then I could go back and play, you know, pick, choose. Different. So um, so yesterday, I had a moment to where I could listen to um, this entire album that he had released. And there's this song on there called uh, Unraveling. And I was listening to it as I was in the shower last night. And all of a sudden, I just felt the presence of God just literally come on me. And I'm just weeping. I'm like, God, oh, what is this? And he's like, this is the unraveling that I'm doing within you. 
So this morning, I want to talk about the unraveling because out of that, I, I told Kelsey, it's like, hey, we have, I got to change scriptures. We got to change all these different things just because um, I really feel this on my heart from the Lord. But if you're taking notes today, we're going to talk about the unraveling, the unraveling. <clears throat> but obviously, the, the dictionary defines unraveling as uh, it's, it's a der- derivative of the word unravel, which means to undo. So when we say unravel, we're saying undo, um, undo or unveil. In Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32 in the Passion Translation, is one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Verse 13, it says, later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jesus or walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. Now, pause, this, this ain't in the notes, but this is one of the reasons I'm glad I wasn't born back in the Bible days. All right, I know sometimes I could complain, like, we getting ready to leave here, go get something to eat. Oh, we got to drive all the way around. But when I think about it in the grand scheme of things, I get to drive versus walking 17 miles. Miranda, are you, you feel like walking 17? I didn't think so. Dre, do you feel like walking 17? I didn't think so. I know my boys ain't going to walk no 17 miles. So, uh, so I'm very thankful. Like, I'm, I'm thankful for the tits, thankful for what Jesus did, but I'm also thankful that they created somebody that invented the automobile. So... Hallelujah. All right. (laughs) So Emmaus was the journey about 17 miles, verses 14 through 15. They were in the midst of a discussion, these two men, in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. So just to give some context, what's going on, this, this is happening the very same day that Jesus has risen from the grave. So Jesus rose from the grave, and one of the things that he has done in Luke chapter 24, he catches these two believers, supposed believers, supposed to be disciples. The Bible still labels them as disciples. He catches them as they are walking from one town to the other. It's about a 17-mile journey. And as they're walking, they are discussing and debating very heatedly about who Jesus is and what all that's happened. I love this next verse. uh, Verse 17 through 18, it says, Jesus said to them, you grave to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. So sad and gloomy. They stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? One of the translations I read in that verse said, Have you been living under a rock? I'm, a, I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yeah, they didn't know that was Jesus. You know, I see Jesus be like, Hey, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you heard. You know, if you'd like to know the news, here, let me tell you what's going on. But you, you know, that's up to you if you want to. So I always laugh at that, that translation that says, have you been living under a rock? I'm like, phew, the brothers were brave to, to, but in verse 19, it says, Jesus asked, what things are you talking about? And I want to stop here for a minute, just because the literally Jesus asked them, hey, what, you know, why are you guys arguing? Why are you so sad? Why are you so gloomy? And these two men, one of them says, like, have you, you know, have you been living on the rock? Do you not know what all is going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus responds by saying, what things? And I love the fact that Jesus asked this question, what things? Because, number one, notice that Jesus asked them a question, let alone one that he already knew the answer to. He already knew what they, was, he already knew what they was arguing about. You know, it's like, uh, I, I love my son, Kellen. We love Kellen. Kellen's in this very inquisitive state. Kenan's starting to get inquisitive as well. But, uh, but Kellen, Kellen, he asks a lot of questions. But there's times where Kellen will ask questions he already know the answer to. 
He just, yes, he just likes, he just, I think he just likes to hear his own voice. Or he, or now he, maybe he's in the state of, he just wants that reassurance. You know, he likes that, that's what I'm, he likes to say, that's what I was talking about. I told you that's what I was talking about. See, daddy, I told you. So there's sometimes he'll be like, daddy, what's that, uh, what kind of truck is that? Kelly, you know, that's a big rig. You already know. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, so it's so I love the fact that Jesus is asking these guys a question, even though he already knows the answer. But I really, truly believe that um, when it comes to unraveling or unbraiding or undoing, undoing, you have to be willing to ask the hard questions. See, you know, Jesus started this process within these two guys of he was going to unravel the very things that they were discussing or the very things that they were debating about. But in order to do that, step one, he had to start with the question. And if God's going to do an unraveling and undoing within us, it has to start with being asked the hard questions. We have to ask ourselves the hard questions. You know, a few weeks ago we said if we are not advancing the kingdom of God, what are we even doing? Because that's a very hard question. Literally that's saying, okay, if I'm not talking to somebody or reflecting God's nature, you know, publicly, then what am I doing? If I'm, a, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian, but at the same time, you know, I'm rude to people or cuss people out. Or if I'm driving, somebody cut me off. I tell them where they can go. I can remind them who they are, who I am, all these different things. If we do those things, then we're not really reflecting the one that we say we love. We're not really reflecting the one that we say we committed our lives to. We're not really reflecting. Better yet, better yet, this is the, this is the one that got me last week. This is the one that got me. Viewing each and every person as God's creation. Viewing each and every person as God's Even that one. We all, everybody's got that one at work where you're like, Shh, if they just want to take a week off, man, we're going to be so easy, going to be a breeze, ain't got to worry about it, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like, we have to view them as God's creation to the point that we flip that, that desire in our heart where we want them to be gone. Instead, we want them to be with us. That way, we can have the opportunity, not a problem, but we can have the opportunity to say, okay, God, you created this person. How, how am I to help them in their journey of finding you or getting back to you? Because ultimately, that's why you've been put in their life. Ultimately, that's why you've been put in their path. I remember being in high school and hearing mom or granny or different ministers say, you know, that's why God put you at LHS, so you could be a light. I'm like, bruh, I don't know what light bulb they talking about. <laughs> not this light bulb. This light, I don't, I don't know who they talking about. They must not go to LHS. And then after, after graduating and, and gain, just getting a little bit of experience, realizing that uh, a lamp is a lamp regardless of the room. A lamp is a lamp regardless of the room. The light bulb is a light bulb regardless of the room. A light bulb is a light bulb in this big of a room. Or you go put it in a closet and wire it just right, it's still going to shine. Why? Because a light bulb is sure enough that its purpose is to shine regardless of the space. So if this materialistic item is sure enough of its purpose, how much more should we be sure of our purpose? But I love this because Jesus said, he asked them, what things are you talking about? So he said, and what things are you talking about? <clears throat> and they said, the things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priests and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had crucified him. We had all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. I want you to notice something that says that we had all hoped. The fact that they said that phrase, we had all hoped, meant that the hope that they had in Jesus was past tense. 
the hope that they had in Jesus was no longer there. I did not major in English, but I know, no, I know enough that if you add ED to a word, it makes it past tense. All right, we all, we all understand that. Good, just make sure. Um, I had to confirm with you know teacher, but cool, yeah. If, if you weren't here, I'd just confirm with Google or something. I don't know. Google. But yes, ED makes the, makes the phrase past tense. So therefore, the fact that whatever, uh, everything that happened up to that moment had caused them to shift their hope from present tense to past tense. It caused them to shift their, their, their trust in Jesus from, past, uh, from present tense to past tense. So in a moment of confusion, hurt, and disappointment, they lost all hope, which explains why they were sad and gloomy. Unfortunately, too many times for us, we let moments in life or what's going on in our world around us, we allow those things to change our hope. We, unfortunately, we allow too many moments of our life to change our trust in Jesus and our hope in Jesus from present tense to past tense. Definitely talking to myself. It's super scary to look at the news. We was watching news yesterday and being reminded of what's going on overseas in Afghanistan or being reminded of when you walk out the door, why you're supposed to wear a mask or being reminded of those that are like, ah, oh, bump the mask. We're not doing the mask and being reminded of the, the inward war within this country of people arguing over a piece of fabric Amen. when nobody's arguing over, man, is, are, are kids getting saved? When nobody's arguing over, do kids have things to eat? When nobody's arguing over, do kids have clothes? I remember living down there in Florida, um, one of, uh, uh, had the opportunity, we'll look at it that way, had the opportunity to, to side hustle and, and work for DoorDash some. And I remember one night, I was just in my feels. Um, for those who understand, in your feelings just means, you know, you really beating yourself up. Okay, I'm doing best to take the vernacular and bring it back, all right? But I was really in my feelings, I was like, man, just beat myself up. And what couldn't know Mike Tyson could hit me harder than I was beating myself up and all these different things. And I remember um, I got this order and I'm driving it. Go over the bridge. Um, the way the way the the way Ormond Beach was laid out or the way whole Volusia County was laid out, you have um, the mainland and then you have this river that separates it and then you have a few bridges you go over and then that's the beach. So I'm driving over the bridge, you know, to date this order, and I'm like, and even like the order, it wasn't the right dollar amount that I wanted. At that point, I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna do it anyway, God. I gotta make some money. So I'm like driving over there, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's forever. Why did, the, why do I have to deliver all the way out here? I mean, like the windy road going down the beach. Most people would be looking at it, oh, so it's so pretty. Me, I'm like, Ugh. like move these cars, come on, let's go. And uh, get to the house. I can't find the house. I'm like, really? Like they ain't putting any structures in? So I'm looking at my phone. Lost service. That's how bad it is. I'm just like, things can't get any worse. And finally, I find the house. All right. And I, you know, send them a message because they said they clicked the option to leave it at the door. So I'm okay. Well, I'm gonna leave it at the door and let you know I'm here. So, I, you know, send a message saying, uh, um, leaving at the door. Which door are you or whatever? And uh, no response. I'm like. And I'm like, you eating up my time, lady. Come on, go get another order or whatever. So finally I call, and, uh, and uh, she answers. And I say, hey, this is DoorDash. I'm here for food. I'm going to leave at your door. She's like, okay, uh, just hand it to me. I'm like, okay, sure. And in my head, I'm like, really? You had the leave it option. Can we just leave it? Why, do, why we, got, we ain't got to talk. We, we ain't got to make conversation. We, it's, it's all good. Just let me leave. So I'm like, it is what it is. Let me, she asked me, hand it to her. So when she opens the door, I come up to her and I hand it, and I, I get the door is wide enough that I can see in, and they have all dirt floors. All dirt floors. And I was like, 
instantly I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Got back in the car. I told her I have a good night. Got back in the car, and I just began to cry and repent. And I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for making my life solely about me. I'm so sorry for elevating my problems when there are bigger problems in the world. Now, I'm not saying that we should, you know, if you stub your toe, ignore it. I mean, obviously, if you cut it, you know, rip it, put a Band-Aid on it, whatever you got to do. But what I'm saying is it is so easy to make our problems the only problems that we see. Now, I don't know if there was anything physically I could have done for her, but just the empathy that came from that, I, I've, that's, out of all the deliveries I've done, that's one of the ones I value the most because it changed my mind. It changed the narrative of how I viewed things the most. Like we said last week, we have to have a godly narrative. We have to make sure that our narratives are matching God's character. And in that moment, seeing the things that she didn't have, that I have, because that was my last order that night. And I remember driving back over the bridge, you know, over the bridge, through the woods. No, no, through the woods. But I remember driving over the bridge, going back, and you know what? I didn't mind sitting at the red lights then. I didn't, I didn't mind that uh, ambulance come through and had to stop traffic. I, I didn't mind that. I didn't mind pulling in. I didn't mind the fact that I lived in an apartment versus a house. I didn't mind the fact that, you know, I had to pass the guy that was smoking on the stairwell to get to my apartment. I didn't mind those things. I didn't mind the fact that opening the door and all the kids coming and hugging me before I could get my shoes off. I didn't mind those things because I knew that there was somebody else that I just met that didn't have those. And those, to me, were very simple, basic things. See, what God loves to do, he loves to unravel our preconceived notions. He loves to unravel the things, our expectations, and unravel our, uh, our mindset, and unravel the things that we think we know, our, our IQ level, our experiences. He loves to undo those things. Why? Because he wants to build something up. He wants to build something up within us that looks like himself. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we won't turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, literally God's target for your life is for us to look more and more like Jesus from glory to glory to glory to glory. You know, we, got, we have that example when we look at Moses, and the Bible says that Moses reflected the glory of the Lord, but they had to put a veil over it. But now that because of what Jesus has done, how he's torn the veil, we're supposed to look like that. So when we go to work, we're supposed to be shining the glory of God. I'm not saying there's supposed to be a, an aura exuberating through your skin pores to where people are like, oh, you look three shades lighter. You know, I'll take that. But, but what I'm saying is when we get to work, people are like, Brandon, you're so nice. I wouldn't have been that nice to that person. Why are you so nice? Well, because I've been given a lot. I've been given a lot, and I'm thankful for who I am. I've been thankful, I'm thankful for what God has done for me. What are you talking about? And then you have that opportunity to shine more light. Because at the end of the day, that's why we are on this earth. But Jesus, he does this unraveling process within these disciples by asking them the question, what things are you talking about? And they literally tell him about Jesus of Nazareth. But as they're telling him, them, telling him about Jesus of Nazareth, they ended up slipping up and saying that they lost all hope and all trust in Jesus. In verse 22, early this morning, some of the women informed us something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly as the women had said, but no one has seen him. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? That, that's my Jesus. You know, why, why are y'all so thick-headed? Like, all right, Jesus, I see you, man. Okay, go ahead. 
I'm going to have to use that one. No, just, just JK. So, why are y'all so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets had spoken? I literally paused. This is the way my mind goes. Even though I said, said JK, I saw in my head, me and be like, Kelsey, why are you so thick-headed? Hey, don't get mad. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. And then I just saw literally everybody surrounding me, uh, my body at the funeral, and giving a eulogy and talking about how great he was. And you know what? You know, he... He, he was good up until that point, so, uh, so I had to lift my head and remind myself that that happened. So, all right, so we're good. We're good. Back to, back to reality. So, back to life. All right. Verse 26. We'll start with verse 25. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets had spoken? Verse 26. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and afterward to enter into his glory? Here's what I want to take time to to, um, to break down verse 27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scriptures I like that phrase he carefully unveiled he carefully unveiled he carefully unraveled he carefully undid the reason I like that that for him to for the for Luke to say carefully means that Jesus intentionally persistently talked about himself but when he did, the Bible says that he, he used the, the, the writings from Moses and all the prophets. So from Genesis, even though they didn't have the, the full Old Testament book, but we can say from Genesis all the way until the end of the Old Testament, Jesus took every scripture, every, every cameo, every Easter egg, every shout out that reflected him, he took that to explain who he was and how what had happened, which, you know, was him dying on the cross and raising, and raising from the dead, those things were already prophesied. But Jesus, literally, the Bible says that he carefully unveiled. He carefully pulled back the cover. He carefully unraveled the cover. Now, what, what was that cover? What was that shield? It was their flesh. It was their perception of things. It was their narratives. It was their lost, trope in, lost trust and their lost hope in Jesus. A lot of times when God is unraveling things in our life, what he's having to do, he's having to pull back that curtain of the lost trust that we have or the hurt or the offense or the this person said this, so therefore I believe it this way or I grew up believing it this way. I grew up it looking like this. Therefore, I've, I've, uh, this is the end all be all. He, he likes to take our end all be all. There we go. I like, he likes to take you and I, my, he likes to take our end all be all and unravel that unveil it and pull it back why because Jesus with these two disciples he started from the very beginning that meant that he was building a foundation he was a building a foundation that was going to show them who he was always will be who he always was and who he always will be so he carefully unveiled understand this when Jesus unravels our preconceived notions our selfish emotions are placed in the hot seat when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit, when, when, when he unravels our selfish emotions, or when he unravels, how do I say that? When he unravels our preconceived notions, there we go. When he unravels our preconceived notions, then our selfish emotions are placed in the hot seat. Case, case in point, that DoorDash delivery that I did. Now I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking solely about myself and solely about my life and how it's not measuring up and all these different things and, and being humbled and standing in this doorway of somebody who doesn't even have concrete floor, doesn't have carpet. 
I could I would complain about all the times when the kids would spill stuff on the carpet. Like, ah, I got a vacuum mat. Ah, we're not gonna get our deposit back. Ah, ah, come on, man. Fruit loops going in your mouth, not on the carpet. You know? And then, you know, I could, you know, then I'm counting in my head, well, it's only eight seconds. Pick it back up. You know, we good. Dads get that that privilege. Mom job to follow the rules, but dads would get that privilege, obviously. But with her case, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a eight seconds. Oh, it fell in the sand. No, no, no. And because there were dirt floors, that meant that there were there were rodents, there were snakes, there were lizards. There was all these different things that they had to watch out for, which we don't normally. My love, it says, when, he unravel, when Jesus unravels our preconceived notions, our selfish emotions are placed in the hot seat. As Jesus unravels what we think we know, he intertwines himself at the same time. When Jesus unravels what we think we know, he intertwines at the same time. It's literally think about this, like for uh, for all the ladies that if you've ever had your hair braided, you know they they're braiding, um, they're braiding the hair, they're weaving it in, they're doing all these different things. Imagine the way, um, literally that metaphor. What I'm saying is, when Jesus unravels, he's braiding at the same time. You know, normally I remember growing up. I remember when mom would get her hair braided, have somebody come over the house. Um, she the lady would get it braided, but then when it's time to take it down, it would be two separate occasions. You know, one occasion she's braiding it, one occasion she's taking it down. But literally what Jesus does at the same time, not two days later, not three days later, not five days later, not a week later, a month later, like we naturally do with our hair. But what Jesus does is as the Holy Spirit is unraveling, as he's removing that veil, he's intertwining as well. He's, he's braiding in, he's woven in, he's, he's, he's intertwining, he's, he's woven in things that look like himself. As he unravels what we think, we know he intertwines himself at the same time. As he pulls back our selfish emotions, as he pulls back our rudeness, as he, as he removes the veil, as he removes those insecurities, he places confidence. As he removes the hurt, he replaces joy. He, he intertwines joy, and it's not just a smile or a happiness emotion, or it's not just a smile, the camera's looking at you. No, joy, unspeakable joy, which means that it's something that can last even when you can't describe it, even when you can't explain it. Why? Because it's unspeakable joy. As he begins to remove that veil, he intertwines his character, allowing us and enabling us and causing us to be more like him from glory to glory to glory to glory. Because that's his goal. That's his goal. My goal, my goal for my kids is at the end of the day for them to have a relationship with Jesus. For them to have a relationship with Jesus. And then to do whatever their heart's desire is. Those are my two goals for my kids. Now, do I have, you know, the sub-goals and all these? Other? Yeah, sure. I have the little, you know, like, yeah, come on, do that. Let's go do that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, my two goals are for them to love the Lord with all their heart and then to do whatever it is that their heart's desire when it comes to their career choice. God's goal, Abba's goal, is for you to look more and more like his son. More and more like his son. For you to look more and more, for you to sound more and more, to, for you to, to act more, to, for us to think more like him. So here's the question. Are we allowing the spirit of God to unravel some things in our lives in order to intertwine more of God's heart within us? I'm going to say it this way. Are you allowing the spirit of God to unravel some things in your life in order for him to intertwine himself within you? 
are we allowing God to, to unravel? Are we allowing God to tear down the, the walls? Are we allowing God to remove the veil? Are we allowing God to pull back our insecurities, our hurt, our offense, what we think it should look like? I remember, I remember, um, I think this was back when we lived in Bristol. I remember getting ready to pray for a youth service, and uh, um, it, was, it was like two or three hours before the service was going to start, and I already set up the chairs, had the lights going, had the snack table, all these different things. And on the physical level, I had all these things lined up. But I just, I just felt this discontent in my heart. And in that moment, I'm like, like, I don't know what else to do. I mean, we got food. We got music. I mean, got the, the most current, relevant Christian music that I could find. I mean, like, all that. Um, I mean, it got the temperature right, got the mood set, the vibe was lit, as they would say, <laughs> as the kids would say. I had all these things physically, but I'm like, I, God, why do I still feel this discontent in my heart? Why do I still feel like I can't, what, whatever it is, the it factor that needs to happen tonight, why do I feel like I can't do that? And I'm like, and I remember just praying this out of desperation. I was like, God, whatever, you know what, just whatever it is you want, whatever, however you think service should go, rewrite the script. I never forget that phrase. I was like, rewrite the script. And I was like, wow, Lord. I said, you know, rewrite how I think worship should go. Rewrite how I think service should go. Rewrite how I think. And I begin to pray over all the different aspects that we would include in youth service. And, trend, and fast forward, I would pray that um, when we was down in Florida, I would say, Lord, rewrite how we think worship should go. Because it's so easy to have our own preconceived notions about church. Let's just take church for a minute. It's so easy to have our own, like, well, church needs to look like this. It's got to look like this. It's got to smell like this. It don't need to smell like that. Don't need to look like this. Don't need to sound like that. Whoa, did you hear that key? Don't definitely need to sound like that. It don't, all these things. We have our own idea or we have our own construct of how we think serving God should go. And a lot of times, like we said last week, a lot of times our construct, our narrative, unfortunately at times it doesn't match God's character. It doesn't match God's character. It's not, a, it's not a woe to us. It's not a punching on us. It's not a beating up on us. It's a, just like we read two weeks ago, it's us realizing, okay, where's the gap and how do we make the correction? How do we calculate? How do we make the calculation? How do we correct? You know, if you're going to Memphis, but you end up going to Nashville, what are you going to do? You're going to get off. You're going to turn around. It's the same with our walk with God. We have to realize, okay, the Bible says God's character is this. What does my character look like tomorrow on Monday mornings? Or what does my character look like Tuesday night? Or what does my character look like when the bank account is at $1? What does my character look like when, when I got to pay this and it's like, ooh, we, we all been there. At all times, does our character match what the mirror, the spiritual mirror, the Bible says it should look like? And if it doesn't, we don't beat ourselves up. We don't, we don't, we don't throw ourselves under the bus. We say, okay, God. This is the gap. You know the gap. You know where I'm supposed to be. I give you permission to correct it. And watch this. He'll correct it if we allow him to. God's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to, but at the end of the day, like, if he's going to do something, you got to give him permission. And see, this is one of those moments I'm like, God, you're so smart because I couldn't be you. I couldn't be you. I'd be like, oh, oh you, you, you want me to correct it? Go, blam. All right, here we go. Thunder, lightning, all that, just because I'm me. But God, being all-powerful, the most powerful being ever, sovereign, at the end of the day, he's not going to overstep you. Why? Because he wants you to love him in the process. 
He wants you to love them in the process. One of the biggest struggles about being a parent is trying to let them figure out things. Oh, God. It is a struggle. You can ask, Kelsey's better than me. I'm not. I'm, I just want to give them the cheat code right now. Like, cheat code, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It's Listen, it's coming. If you ever hear me sometimes, like even when we got out of the car, I know I know both boys, they, they're distracted. They see Nana, Dre, woo, Nana, Dre, as they're walking straight. They're like, oh, Nana, Dre. I'm like, here it comes. Somebody's going to fall. Somebody's going to fall. Somebody's going to fall. Watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking. Watch where you're walking. Kabloom. <laughs> but... The right thing is for me to be like, hey, boys, watch, we're walking, you're going to fall, and then just let it. Just let it. Because the lesson will be learned afterwards. But it's hard as a parent because you want to just be like, listen, there's all these obstacles. There's all these things. You don't think that God wants to be like, hey, let me just pick you up and throw you out of the way. Like, ah. But he's waiting for the opportunity to be for you to be like, God, is there anything I need to be doing or is there anything coming my way that's not of you? God, I give you permission to intercede in my life right now. He's waiting for that moment. But those moments don't come on our own. They have to come through an unraveling. They have to come through an undoing of ourselves. They have to come through a moment where we say, you know what? I may think life is supposed to look like this, but God, you designed me. So what is my life supposed to look like? That's a daily battle, a daily struggle for me every day as, I, as we've moved back and we, I see familiar faces. And I'm like, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, God, I, I remember one day, one Saturday, or not Saturday, one day this, this past week, I went to Walmart to get something. I ran into so many different familiar people. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. You know, Lord, please don't let them ask, like, you know, so what you doing? What you doing today? What, where are you going? Because I don't really have an answer for them. And I'm like, God, you know, I, I thought my life would look like this, or I thought, my, I thought it would sound like this, or I thought it would smell and taste like this. And I'm like, you know what? Those are all my narratives. Those are all my preconceived notions. I'm like, God, you designed me. How is my life supposed to look? What, what happens when we ask God those things? What, what happens when we not only ask them, but we submit to them? See, that's, that's, the, that's the hardest thing. Asking, there's no problem asking. We can ask in church, be like, Lord, rain down on us. Okay. When he comes into our life, are we willing to submit to what he wants to do? Are we willing to submit to, what if he asks you to do something you're not comfortable with? Are we willing to submit to those promptings? Submission is, it's, it's, it's very underrated. Submission is very slept on. But at the end of the day, like, even Jesus submitted to the cross. He didn't want to do it. He even said in his prayer, Lord, please, if you can let this cup pass for me, please let it, like, let somebody else drink it. That, in, the, in that moment, I'm like, you know, I can relate to you, Jesus. Like, God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But then Jesus submitted and saying, but still, if this is the will, if this is your will, then I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will. And I fully believe that that's what our life is supposed to look like. Like, God, okay, what is it? Today's Monday. Lord, what does your will look like for my life? Oh, that's what you want me to do? You want me to talk to that person? Oh, God, you want me to do that? Please, Jesus, I don't want to do that. But nevertheless, if not my will, but your will be done, God. Please, your will be done. So I'm going to conclude with this. In verse 28, as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling them he was going on to a distant place. They urged him to remain there when them 
uh, with them and pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Verse 30, joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and all at once, their eyes were open and they realized he was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize him? I love this line right here. Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion? While we walked beside him, he unveiled, there's that word again, unveiled, he unveiled, he unraveled, he undid for, such, for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? I love that. It never said that. Didn't our hearts burn as we looked at him? Or didn't our hearts burn as we showed up to church and lifted our hands and sung the right songs or sung the most current songs or sung the most relevant songs? Or didn't our hearts burn because we had on the right royalty colors within our wardrobe? I love it because it said their hearts burned with passion because they were beside him and he unraveled. He unveiled. Listen, you want your passion to grow for God. You want to become on fire for God. You want to be excited for God. You have to allow him to unravel some things in your life. You have to allow him to unravel some things in your heart. You have to allow him to remove certain preconceived notions that we think things should look like, how we think things should go. One of my favorite worship songs, literally the chorus, all it says is whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, Jesus, come. Just that, that simple phrase. Now, I, I, I love to sing that. I love just to think that. I love to pray it because I'm like, God, whatever it looks like in my life, whatever my life is supposed to look like, whatever my life is supposed to sound like, Lord, come and do that. Yeah. Don't do what I think you should do. Lord, do what you know is best. Yeah. Speak through me the words that you know are best. Yeah. Parent through me the right way. Help me to be the, uh, the husband the right way. Help me to be the spouse the right way. Help me to be the employee the right way. Help me to be the employer the right way. Help me to be the cousin the right way. Help me to be the older brother the right way. Lord, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, come in that way. In that shape, form, or fashion. Unravel me, Lord. Unravel how I think things should look like. And it's not easy. It's not easy having our constructs it's not easy having how we think things should look like it's not easy having those things unraveled or torn down or taken down i mean i i have three boys hallelujah the youngest one he's not able to play with legos but when it's time to clean up dre and mom and dad have witnessed when it's time to clean up the lego towers oh it's not a pretty sight it's not a pretty sight it's not a pretty sight look he's already getting upset it's just it's just a story kid it's just a story you go back <laughs> So he's already feeling it. All right. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a little trauma with the Lego towers. Daddy telling him to take it down. It's not fun because they've, they've built up this thing. And, you know, they call the living room their kingdom. You know, in their kingdom, they have all the toys, and it looks like they're getting them all. Yeah. But it's not fun because they've built up, and they have, their, they have their preconceived notions of whatever they built up, how it's supposed to be. You know, it, to me, it can look like four blots, four random red faded yellow blots. But to Kellen and Keenan, this is, a, this is a castle, and this is where Lightning McQueen's car go, and all these different things. And this is the training center, and this is the church over here. To me, it doesn't look like that. But they've built it up by what they think it should look like. And then here comes dad saying, okay, it's time to go to bed, so you have to take these things down. It's not easy for them because they've invested their heart in that. 
one of the great things about God is he understands where our heart is invested. But at the end of the day, those investments should be in him, not in things, not in structures, not in services, not in templates, not in people. They should be in God. And I think really he unravels us because he wants us to see two things. One, he wants us to see where our trust is and how fallible that trust is and how fallible we, the, the person or the object that we placed our trust in. If we place our trust in people, he wants you to see, hey, you place this, your trust in this person. I want, you, I want to remind you that they are human and you're going to get hurt. Not because God is petty and like, whoa, told you. No, no, no. Because at the end of the day, he wants to point you back to his son, Jesus. He wants, us, he wants to point us back true north. You know, I, I didn't, this isn't in the notes, but if you've, uh, if you've ever been on a boat, fortunately I've not been on a boat except for the boats at Celebration Station back in the day, the little bumper boats. So, yeah, I've been on a boat, cool. But if you've ever been on a real boat out in the ocean when sailors, um, at least in the olden days, I don't know if they still do it, but a lot of times uh, if they couldn't rely on the compass, they would rely on the magnetic fields. Or they, would, they wouldn't rely on the magnetic fields. They would rely on the true north star. They would rely on the true north star. And the reason they re- would rely on the true north star versus the compass is because the magnetic fields, over so many years, the magnetic fields, they shift. So therefore, there's, there's a slight fluctuation within a compass. But the northern star, the northern star stays in its position. God placed that there and it doesn't move. So a lot of times when they would get lost, they can look at the northern star and know that that is true north. That is, and based off that, that's how we set every direction. That's how we make every decision based off that true northern star. When it comes to following Jesus, our true north should be the path that lands us at the heart of God. And that path is going to look like him undoing some things, undoing some hurt, undoing some Uh, trust issues, undoing some things that maybe happened in the past, undoing some things that we that we may be bitter about, undoing all types of things in order to get us to pursue him the right way, in order to get us to reflect him the right way. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion? as he unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. Their hearts had been burning when he explained the scriptures to them and the truth of God's word had transformed their discouraged hearts. As God was unraveling through me last night, I just, I just felt this one point, and even though I've said a lot, but this only had one point in the notes, and it was this, it was that Jesus is present in the unraveling. Jesus is present in the unraveling. A lot of times it feels like when we have to deconstruct things, we are by ourselves, and the devil wants to make us feel that way. That's, that's the number one ploy of the enemy, to, is to make you feel alone when you're not alone. It's to make you feel unheard when you're not being heard, or it's to make you feel unseen when nobody sees you. That's the number one ploy of the enemy. But even as you are deconstructing, even as Jesus is doing a deconstruction within you, even as Jesus is doing an unraveling within you, he's not just tearing us down to, to leave you in, in pieces. No, no, no. He's tearing down the flesh. 
He's tearing down those insecurities. He's tearing down those preconceived notions. He's tearing down how we think church should be. He's tearing down how we think Henderson County should look like. He's tearing down how we think Gladstone should look like in order for us to be more compassionate, in order for us to empathize more, in order for us to, to relate more, in order for us to reflect God's glory more and more. Why? Because he wants to do something great in Henderson County. He wants to do something great in Lexington. You know how I know? You ain't ready for this. You ain't ready. You know how I know? Because the person that you see in the mirror, you've been strategically placed for such a time as this in an area like this. Well, Lindsay, I was was born here because my mom was born here. Her mom was born here. Her mom was born here. Uh, I, I get that. But why do you think God planted that heritage here? Or Lindsay, I moved here because of da 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 da. Hey, God plays chess while we play checkers. Amen. And at the end of the day, you are here for such a time as this. You have the glory of God within you. The way that's going to help, the way that's going to shine through is by allowing God. It's by us saying, okay, God, unravel the very things that, that don't look like you. And it's a daily prayer. It may be an hourly prayer for some of us. It may be a five, every five minutes. You may have to set a reminder on your phone every hour. Just type in a little subject box that says, pray and ask God, put in parentheses, unravel what doesn't look like you in my life. And when, that, when your phone goes off every hour, you just take a couple minutes, like, God, right now, continue to unravel whatever, whatever is in me that doesn't look like you. Unravel that. Undo it. And replace it with your character. And that's it. You go about your day. You go back to driving. You go back to working. You go back to parenting. You go back to whatever it is. Why? Because at the end of the day, he's just looking for that opportunity. He's looking for that open door to come and remove that veil. To come and remove that veil. You think about it. The Bible says that Jesus was waiting for those two guys. Jesus was already there. Can I tell you something? He's already in your life. He's already in the midst of the problems. He's just waiting for you to invite him in. He's just waiting for you to invite him into that conversation. He was already there waiting on those two guys. I never realized that until now. He was already waiting there, just looking for an invitation. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't kick it down. He knocks and waits for you to open it. Come on, let's just worship him. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, his presence is here. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. Jesus, we worship you. Lord, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, God, that's our desire. Lord, when we walk out our out these doors, whatever it looks like, whatever we encounter, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, Jesus. Lord, we just wanted and look. We just wanted to sound like we just we wanted to look like you. Lord, the same unraveling that you did with the two men in Luke 24, we ask that, Lord. Let our hearts burn with holy passion as you begin to explain and show more and more of yourself in our lives. Lord, let our hearts burn with holy passion. Let us become more alive, Lord. Revive us. Revive the sleeping parts within us, Lord. Revive the dead parts within us, Lord. Awaken the dry bones within us, Lord. 
Awaken the dry bones within this county and within this town, within this city. Awaken, Lord. Lord, undo the very things that hinder us. Undo the very things that hinder us from receiving what you have for us, Lord. We submit to, we submit to it. We submit to your unraveling. We submit to your unveiling. We submit to everything that you did at the cross. Lord, and we rest, we rest at the melodies that you sing over us. We rest to the melodies that you sing over us. Thank you for the word that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the word that you planted. Lord, I thank you that that word has been planted into the soil of our hearts. And I thank you at the right time, it will spring up and produce fruit of righteousness. Fruit that will last and remain through all seasons. Fruit that will outlast everybody's opinions. Fruit that will outlast finances. Fruit that will outlast circumstances. Fruit that will outlast external uh, issues, Lord. Lord, we just submit to what you're doing. Lord, as it is in heaven, let that be so in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. As it is in heaven, let that be in our conversations. As it is in heaven, let that be in our, in our doing, in our breathing, in our existing. Let us move, let us breathe, and let us live in you like the scripture says. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Everybody said?